For me, running has turned into something that has very little to do with my weight or my appearance. If you look at my running photos, my thighs and stomach, they're always jiggling. My cellulite, it's so visible. They are not the kind of flattering photos that you want floating around on the internet. But guess what? I am still proud of every single one of them. Isn't that amazing? Now, perhaps that seems normal for folks who don't have 10,000 selfies on their phone, but for people like me and maybe you, it is truly extraordinary to be proud of photos where my stomach is hanging out. That's what running has done for me. It has taught me to appreciate my body, not for what it looks like, but for what it can do. That is an excerpt from this week's Ask Joanne, where we tackle running. And this is the Korean Vegan Podcast, where we talk about how to live a more purposeful and empowered life. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. This is Joanne Molinaro, your host. This week, we're going to do a little bit of a race recap. As some of you may know, last week, I had the pleasure of running the Santa Barbara Half Marathon, and I thought I'd bring you a few of my thoughts and highlights from the race. The second half of this episode is going to cover some of the tips that I've accrued over my nine years of running, particularly if you are a newbie runner. Now, keep in mind, I am not an elite runner. I'm not actually even very fast. So these will be running tips from an average runner. So without further ado, let's get into it. This past weekend, I ran the Santa Barbara Half Marathon. I signed up for the race sort of on a whim. I had just pulled out of running the New York City Marathon after three weeks with COVID derailed my training plan. It wasn't my first time pulling out of a marathon. I deferred Chicago in 2019 while suffering from shin splints. But withdrawing from these types of commitments always inflicts a, a little damage to the ego. Still, I would have had to accelerate my running volume in a very short period of time, and after talking with my coach, we both concluded that the risk of injury, particularly as the after effects of COVID remained mm, a little murky to say the least, outweighed any benefit to running the marathon. And to be candid, I still wasn't in the kind of shape I wanted to be in to run a full marathon. Sure, I probably could have muscled through it like I had in Chicago 2021, but I really did not relish the thought of running another near six-hour marathon, even in New York City. So I withdrew from the marathon, and I didn't immediately commit to a later marathon. Instead, I decided to focus on rebuilding my base, something to which I'd only provided really sporadic and divided attention since 2018. For those of you who are not long distance runners or on track team or things like that, your base refers to sort of your foundational running fitness level. So it's kind of what you try to maintain throughout the year, even when you're off season and then build upon when you're in season for a specific event. 
Now, a few weeks after I decided to pull out of the New York City Marathon, Anthony mentioned that he might sign up for a half marathon in Santa Barbara, saying, I know you're free that weekend because that's the weekend you would have run New York. I didn't say anything at the time, but, you know, free weekends are so few and far between for me. And at the same time, there was something kind of attractive about the idea of doing a long run through one of California's coastal gems with easy access to porto potties, always a big deal for me, and hydration and crowds cheering me on between each mile marker. So a few days later, I registered online for the race without telling Anthony, my coach, or posting it on Facebook. Eventually, though, you know, I had to tell my husband because it's about an hour drive to Santa Barbara. And I said, oh, I registered for that half marathon you mentioned in Santa Barbara. And he followed suit and signed up, too. This made me super happy because it had been probably years since we'd run a race together. In case you didn't know, Anthony runs sub three marathons. My last marathon was almost six hours. (laughs) So, so many people ask us, oh, do you guys run together? And the answer is not really. (laughs) The last time we ran together, this is just a jog and we jogged together for maybe like a couple miles along the lakefront. I actually said to him, I was like, I'm actually worried you're going to get injured (laughs) from having to run so slow with me. So running races together, you know, obviously we're not going to pace each other or anything like that, but being in the same event together, there's something kind of magical about that. So I was really excited that he signed up. So in the end, Anthony reached out to a close friend who has a home in Santa Barbara and arranged for us to stay with them for the weekend, which then turned a random race weekend into a bit of an outing for us because our friend not only owns his own wood fire pizza oven, he possesses mad pizza making skills. So we were then going to treat ourselves to probably the best pizza I've ever had, like in my life. We arrived in Santa Barbara the Friday before the race, and I made a massive, like huge pot of sundubu jjigae for everyone, including our friends. And it was so soothing and velvety and delicious. And again, I wondered, how is it possible that it isn't everyone's favorite thing to eat? We then spent most of Saturday eating delicious bread from a local bakery, a teensy-weensy Scandinavian shop provocatively named Oat Bakery. Honestly, some of my favorite things about traveling to cities I'm not familiar with is discovering its local eateries and bakeries and little shops. And we discovered this Oat Bakery after our morning shakeout along the beach. And then we got back home to our friend's house, and sure enough, there was amazing homemade pizza waiting for us. So we stuffed our faces with homemade pizza. So yes, there was a lot of eating involved, but of course this isn't terribly abnormal leading up to a long distance race though. This is definitely not how I would eat in preparation for a full-blown marathon. My race eve was pretty chill. I placed my running short sports bra socks and race bib into a small pile atop my running shoes right by the door of our guest bedroom. 
I decided last minute that in lieu of trying to find medjool dates, which is my go-to in-race nutrition, I'd bring a couple of the tiny Fuyu persimmons my friend picked up from the grocery store the night before. They were so adorable and bright orange and they just were so yummy. I woke up to the Rocky theme song, (laughs) which has been my phone alarm uh, for many years, at 5 a.m. the following morning, feeling pretty rested, slightly unprepared, and not a little nervous. You know, those race morning jitters. I had no goals other than to finish. And I joked to Anthony and our friends, don't, don't even bother like waiting for me at the finish. I'm going to be a while, like probably three hours, (laughs) but still it would be the longest distance I'd run since the New York city half marathon back in March of this year. And however much I enjoy running in theory, running 13.1 miles is still hard and painful. Now, luckily, the weather was delightful. It was in the mid-50s at the start, working up to the mid-60s towards the finish. We drove out to the start line an hour before the start time, slid into a free parking spot about a block away, and congratulated ourselves for having our shit so well together on race morning. I hit the porta potty once just before the line started getting prohibitive and headed back to the warmth of our car while Anthony did strides out on the still practically deserted street. At exactly 6.55 a.m., Anthony and I sauntered over to the rippling crowd gathered at the start. We kissed and wished each other luck before he went to the front and I went to the back. It had been several months since I'd run a race, and I'd forgotten how easy it was to trick your body into running a little faster than it's ready for. I'd spent the past several months running long and easy. That's how you build a base, averaging about 12-minute miles. But I ran the first three miles, most of which was composed of one long, relentless climb at 1046, 1043, and 1029-mile paces, feeling no different than I had when I ran around the rolling hills of Westlake Village. I decided two things at that point. A, slow it down, and B, stop looking at your watch. I ran the rest of the race entirely on effort, picking things up after mile seven to facilitate a negative split. In the end, I finished in two hours and 21 minutes, which is 39 minutes before my projected time of three hours, but about two minutes slower than the New York City half and 12 minutes slower than my very first half marathon back in 2016. But I didn't really care. I finished strong, sprinting past the finish line until I almost barfed, which is sort of a non-negotiable requirement for all Joanne finishes, where both my friend Greg and Anthony were waiting with hugs and smiles all around. And get this, I didn't need to use the bathroom for the entire 13.1 miles, which for me is a massive achievement in and of itself. Now, the following are just a few kind of fun, notable highlights from the half marathon. At the very beginning, I heard a couple of runners speaking to each other in Korean. Two young men. I'd never heard Korean being spoken while running before, much less on a race course. One of them was clearly older than the other based upon the formality of speech, 존댓말, from the younger, and the obvious lack of formality, 반말, from the older. 
the Tongseng or younger commented on how far away the two hour pacer group was, and the Hyung or older brother reassured, Don't worry, we don't need to even think about them yet. But in my head, I thought, Dude, if you want to run a two hour marathon, you really cannot afford to be back here with me, even for the first couple miles. I tried to keep up with them for a bit only because there was something so. Like incredibly soothing about hearing Korean while I was running, but they soon picked up their pace and I lost sight of them before mile two. I have no idea how well they did if they managed to run a two hour marathon, but I was grateful for their brief presence with me nonetheless. I ran the majority of the race without headphones on. Anthony is always going on and on and on about how much better it is to enjoy the sounds of nature while running, to which I always mutter, um, okay, whatever. I think people should do whatever makes the run less painful, and studies have shown that listening to music can literally reduce the body's perception of pain while you're running. That said, on race day, I do think there's something sort of electrifying about the crowds, your fellow runners, the live music. At around mile 1.5, I overheard two men talking about how they wished they could walk past the finish line as skinny dads, how it was virtually impossible to lose enough weight to be considered, quote, skinny in just one race, unless it was like an ultra marathon in the desert. The length of their conversation on this topic, because I remember I ran right in front of them for at least half a mile, as well as the specifics, like the data that they were discussing, it made me realize again that we live in a culture that is truly obsessed with being, quote, skinny, and that it is really short-sighted of me to consider that this affliction only affects women. Shortly after that, though, they moved on to talk about PS5s <laughs> and how you can now buy one without resorting to the black market. So there's a tip there. If you guys are really into PlayStation, you no longer have to resort to eBay. I was moved by the number of white halmonis or grandmothers in the crowds lining the sidewalks, how aggressively they cheered for all of us runners. They came out en masse with their signs and cowbells clad in light parkas and Patagonia fleeces, their white and silver coifs perfectly put together for the morning's event. I never engage with crowds while I run unless they're like related to me or they're like calling out my name, but I smiled every time I passed another raucous crowd of suburban grandmas. I don't know, there was just something really fun about them cheering us all on and how into it they got. By mile nine, the race had run out of cups, literally. Apparently, cup shortages must have been nationwide because there's a viral TikTok going around about a young runner complaining about the fact that they'd run out of cups on her race as well. It was really strange because about 0.1 miles away from the water station, I could hear the volunteers hollering, waterfall here, waterfall. And I was like, I don't want a waterfall. I just need a cup of water. Thank you very much. But alas... I soon discovered that a waterfall would be my only available option because they had run out of cups. So I stood patiently while a college kid held a massive, like a huge jug of spring mountain water over my head and poured it straight into my mouth. 
So those are sort of my highlights from the Santa Barbara half marathon. It was overall just a wonderful race. I had such a great time and I'm really glad that I sort of just randomly signed up for a half marathon kind of on a whim. I think it definitely took a little bit of the sting out of the fact that I had to pull out of the New York City marathon and it made me feel proud that I was able to run a half marathon at this point in my running journey. Now, with that said, in case you couldn't tell from my recap of this race, I am by no means an expert runner. I'm not a fast runner. I'm nowhere near an elite runner, but I have been running for nine years. I have run dozens of half marathons. I've also run five full marathons. I've learned a lot about how to make running a little bit less painful from that experience. And this is coming from someone who really hated running, <laughs> like truly hated running before I started in 2013. So this is the section of the podcast that I will call running tips for noobs from a non-elite runner. First of all, dress light. It never fails to astonish me just how many runners show up to the start line of a race wearing 21 layers of clothing. <laughs> okay, maybe not 21, but the overwhelming majority of folks at even this most recent half marathon arrived wearing hoodies, arm warmers, mittens, wool hats, and sweatpants. It was 55 degrees at the start, and the forecast said it would go all the way up to the upper 60s when all was said and done. Accordingly, I showed up in a sports bra and running shorts, and that's it. By mile eight, I saw several runners with their hoodies looped around their waist or hanging out the back of their shorts. Neither is optimal for running what are likely the most painful miles of your race. I was feeling a little too warm myself at that point, so I can't imagine how hot it got for folks running in sweatpants. Like, I mean, honestly, I don't see anyone pulling over and pulling off their sweatpants at that point. While everyone's body is definitely different, in general, keep in mind that your body's temperature will on average increase by at least 15 degrees Fahrenheit during a run, and therefore, you should dress as though it's at least 15 degrees warmer than it actually is. For me, I think that rule should be more like 25 or 30 degrees when you're running. I can comfortably run in a t-shirt and shorts in, I would say, 30 30 degree weather. So keep that in mind when you're showing up for a race, uh, for intense runs and for longer runs. Thinking of breaking in your new Nikes on race day? Think again. However pretty your brand new trainers are, they are poor, poor choices for long runs or race day. Trust me. I wanted to change into my brand new shoes for my half marathon too, but I was like, yeah, no, unless you want to break your freaking feet. <laughs> Even if they felt amazingly comfortable at the running store, your feet will need to adjust to them. Instead of subjecting them to 13 miles of new shoe, it's much better to allow them to settle in over short spurts, like two, three, four miles. Otherwise, you are setting yourself up for chafing, blisters, and possibly even injury. Hydration. It begins before your long run race day. I'm really the last person in the world to talk about hydration as I never drink enough water, but if you're feeling a little dry at mile one, 
no amount of in-race hydration is going to work. If you've got a long run or a race coming up, develop a hydration plan that begins several days out so that your body has time to adjust and absorb the water. I like to carry a water bottle around with me during taper, you know, those two weeks or even one week before a long race. And sometimes I add a half tablet of noon or other electrolytes to make sure I show up to the start line feeling primed and ready. The point is, if you're feeling like palpably thirsty by mile one or two, it's already too late. It means that your body has not been optimally hydrated for your event. But don't forget to hydrate during the race either. Just because you hydrated yourself to a T in the days before your race or long run doesn't mean you should just barrel through your run without stopping for water. Hydrating while running will not only make your parched throat feel better, it can make you run faster, it will improve your recovery time, and it can prevent injury. As I mentioned, I'm terrible at hydration, but on race day, I don't freaking mess around. I stop at every other hydration station and I take a couple sips, even if I don't feel thirsty. If it's a really hot day, I'll pour the rest of the water over my head. How to take hydration while running. Now that is a tricky sort of thing. Hal Higdon recommends that you just walk through hydration stations, noting that whatever time you think you lose by slowing down, you'll regain by not trying to run while dehydrated. But just between you and me, I know for a fact that Hal himself, he does not stop to walk through hydration stations. Trust me. I like to jog through hydration stations as well, unless it's a hydration waterfall, if you will. And I've used a trick I learned from one of my favorite running coaches, Sage Canaday, for years in order to make sure I get my requisite two sips while keeping my pace. I take the cup of water from the volunteer and then I pinch one side of it with my thumb and index finger to turn the cup into like a mini funnel. I tip my head back a little bit and I just let a trickle through the open side of that cup. Again, I don't suggest you try and drink the whole cup. Too much water can cause cramping and bloating and just not an overall good situation. Again, this just reinforces this idea that you should show up to the start line already well hydrated. Eat enough, but not too much. Now, this is a question that I field a lot from beginner runners. Like, what do you eat on race morning? What do you eat in the days leading up? There's a lot that can be talked about in relation to this subject, I'll say just a couple of things. One of my favorite running stories comes from my friend Dave, also a DWR teammate. David trained for his very first marathon a few years ago. He had a modest goal, run the marathon in less than four hours. He trained in accordance with that goal in mind. But the night before his first 20 miler, he went on a bender. He ate an entire pizza. Actually, he may have eaten more than one <laughs> by himself. And he drank like a lot of beer. Now, that's not exactly the ideal way to prepare for your very first 20 mile run, but something amazing happened. The following day, he ran the fastest he'd ever run in his life. And in the end, he ran a 3.30 marathon. And since then, the dude's been sub-threeing all his marathons like it ain't no thing. 
Now, I'm not suggesting you eat an entire pizza and go to a kegger the night before your long run or your race, but I think what it does indicate is just how important it is that you eat enough. I always know that I didn't consume enough calories when I get the uh, hangry pangs, if you will, at around mile seven. So I like to stock up on fat-free carbs the night before a long run. The morning of, I keep it simple oatmeal, plain bagel, or toast. In general, I've noticed that my body does not react well to fat when running. It feels like it's like burning the lining of my stomach, so I avoid eating too much fat, particularly processed fat. I also avoid eating too much fiber or other foods that tend to require a little bit more digestive muscle, if you will, like beans and broccoli in the days before a race or a long run. You want to make digestion as easy as possible for your stomach on the day of a really long run or a marathon or a half marathon. Another thing that I don't recommend, <laughs> one time I thought, yeah, you know what? I could use the you know fructose in an apple right before I run. So I had this delicious apple right before I towed the start line. I think of like a 10K and that was like the most brutally painful 10K I ever ran. The acid in the fruit really, it just wreaked havoc in my stomach. So I do not recommend eating fruits like apples, oranges, or other highly acidic fruits. Keep it like to bananas. Even bananas, sometimes I feel like can mess around with my stomach. I do like, as I mentioned, to eat medjool dates as my in-race nutrition. I have found that the sugar really helps with my energy and glucose levels while not messing around with my stomach. And also, I love dates, so it's like, oh yeah, I get to eat a date at mile six, and it's like something to look forward to, and I simply cannot drum up the same sort of uh, anticipation, if you will, for goose. Sorry. <laughs> Now, while not eating enough can certainly make a long run way more painful than it needs to be, it can lead to Boncoville, which is what happens when you don't get enough glucose in your body in preparation for a race. Eating too much can also weigh you down, like literally during a long run. I once carb loaded with nothing but boiled potatoes and white rice for four straight days before a marathon. And let me tell you, <laughs> I felt like I was running with boulders inside my stomach, which was really not fun. <laughs> okay, what shall I wear? For long distance runners, this is not a frivolous question. Not only do you have to intelligently handle the weather, which is what we talked about at the very top of this section, if you're running unsupported, i.e. it's not a race and you don't have a team of people around you all the time, you need to supply your own hydration and in some cases, run with a phone, which I absolutely recommend for all women if you're running by yourself. I've run with all sorts of contraptions designed to help me carry water bottles, goos, and phones, but having to put so much crap on me for every long run eventually grew annoying and literally heavy. So here is what I wear for virtually every long run and race, and sorry in advance, this is going to be specific to women. I wear a sports bra that has a pocket down the back, and I cannot 
overemphasize how radically the discovery of this particular sports bra has changed my running habits. Like I don't need my sports bra to be fancy schmancy or from a particular brand, but I do need it to be functional. And you know what I mean, girls, you need to hold things together. And in my case, I need a pocket. I use the pocket for my cell phone or for a very skinny water bottle, which is another thing that I discovered on Amazon. The pairing of this skinny water bottle with this pocketed sports bra, I kid you not, I was running along the lakefront path and this guy running behind me, he taps me on the shoulder as he passes me and he points to the water bottle on my back and he goes, brilliant. I agree. It is brilliant. I'm going to include links to these things in the show notes below for you ladies, or I don't care, whoever you are who wears a sports bra and wants to strap a water bottle to your back. Spandex running shorts with lots of pockets. And this is very similar. You can sense a theme here. I like pockets. Not only do these shorts guard against chafing, all the pockets are super deep and tight. I don't like loose pockets and I don't even really like zippered pockets because I feel like the zippers, if they break, which they often do, you can lose really important things. When I have really tight pockets, I can feel confident that my AirPods or my Goo or my house key or my credit card isn't going to go flying out somewhere and hit the road while I'm sitting there with my AirPods (laughs) on mile 15. Above the ankle socks. There's nothing worse than blisters or chafing on your feet or your ankles or your heels while you're running. And I found that ankle socks tend to rub uncomfortably up against the back of my heel, depending on the shoes that I'm wearing. So I just like to cut out the guesswork on that and just wear socks that go above the ankle. I find those to be most comfortable. I also like them to be thick enough. While the idea of compression socks is definitely intriguing, and I've run with compression socks before, they're usually too thick thin and provide an adequate cushion between the soles of my feet and the pavement. So those are my tips on what I wear for a long run or for a race. Like I said, I like showing up with as little as possible. I, you know, see all these people with belts and the camelbacks and the things strapped to their arms and their waists and even their legs. And I'm like, oh my God, all of those things, they're going to weigh you down. And you know how I know that? It's because I used to run with those things. And luckily for me, you know, my husband and I often were running on the same path. He would offer to pick up the water bottle or whatever it is I was carrying on his way back home. So I would drop it off at like the designated bench and liberating myself (laughs) from the water bottle that was strapped to my hand or, you know, the, the thing that was, you know, the, the goose and all that stuff that was strapped around my waist. It was like 10 pounds had been lifted off my body and I could run like the wind. So if you can run like the wind for the whole 13 miles, imagine how great that would feel. Now, what about the shoe? Well, I wear whatever shoes I find most comfortable. Right now, I'm wearing New Balance shoes. I've run in Hoka's. I've run in Nike's. I've run in a lot of different shoes. Whatever shoe I find most comfortable, I usually include an insole that has been custom designed for me, but you don't have to do that. Again, my best advice is wearing the right shoe for your foot. 
And in order to do that, I would suggest you head over to your local running store. Unless you have been running for some time and you're very familiar with the different kinds of shoes out there and how they fit your particular foot, it's best to walk into an actual running store because the folks who work there have been trained to analyze your gait and fit you with a shoe that's going to optimize your running capacity. So those are running tips from a non-elite average runner. I hope you found that helpful. In sum, running is one of the most inclusive sports out there. You can be a beginner, you can be a veteran. For most people, you don't need fancy equipment or gear. You don't even need a gym membership. The Santa Barbara Half Marathon was likely the slowest half marathon I've ever run. But as I crossed the finish line, I thought about how I came to even run this race with zero fanfare, not much anxiety, because at this point in my life, I've gotten to where I can just roll out of bed and run 13 point miles like in a row. (laughs) Nine years ago, when I started running, I couldn't even run one mile in a row. With so much in this world that remains out of our control, there are few things more empowering than transforming our bodies well beyond whatever limits we assume for ourselves. And having the chance to prove that in this small way was a beautiful, beautiful gift. So with that, we're going to turn to this week's Ask Joanne. As you may know, I invite all my listeners and newsletter subscribers to submit questions on which they're seeking advice. And this week, Callie has asked, Hi, Joanne. I wanted to ask you, if you hated running, what got you to make that first step in your life change? What got you in those shoes for the first time with the intention to run? Or did you walk it first? I'm about to be 25 at the end of this year. It'll be my golden birthday. And the first quarter of my life experiences, I'm sadly overwhelmed with my weight and body dysmorphia. I hate running. And sadly, my depression is amazing at kicking me down. But I want to start to run so bad. I'm not healthy the way I want to be. And I don't exercise like I should. I just wanted to know what was the push that got you started? Well, Callie, first of all, Congratulations on your golden birthday. While it sounds like things have been a little tough for you recently, your 25th birthday is definitely something worth celebrating. Now let's tackle some of the easier questions first, shall we? Yes, I hated running. Actually, I hated all forms of physical activity, period. I didn't like running, walking, biking, skating, dancing, or basically anything that required me to move myself from the couch. The only, quote, sport I enjoyed with any regularity was playing Mario Kart or Halo. (laughs) I'm not saying these things out of judgment for this previous version of myself. The I hate moving Joanne had really good reasons underlying her distaste for fitness. She was working a stressful job, was stuck in a terrible relationship with a partner who had similar views on movement, and battled with body dysmorphic disorder her whole life, and thus viewed physical activity as a form of punishment for eating too much. So what got me into those running shoes the first time? Well, not surprisingly, it was the fact that I was like you, unhappy with my weight, my body, my health. 
Coming off the heels of my divorce, I discovered I'd gained over 30 pounds. I hated the way I looked and more importantly, how I felt tired, easily fatigued and irritable. I started doing at-home workout videos anywhere from 20 to 30 minutes a day. These videos were designed for senior citizens, <laughs> but I didn't care. They were challenging for me and I always felt great after completing them. After several weeks of doing these videos, well, I got bored and decided to add running to my routine because in college I'd had some success shedding pounds by getting on the treadmill. So I decided to try running along the lakefront path right by my house to see whether it would catalyze my weight loss. It was cheap because there was no gym membership necessary and flexible. I could do it on my own schedule and most importantly, effective. I did end up losing weight. But the more interesting question, Kelly, is why I continue running. Even though I no longer run to lose weight, I still run for fitness. As I get older, I found that exercise helps me to maintain mobility and agility while also promoting digestive health. I have early signs of rheumatoid arthritis and regular exercise is one of the few non-pharmaceutical treatments for inflammation in my joints. I know, not what I expected either. I also continue to run because it brings me confidence and serenity. I love starting the day knowing that I've done something good for my body and thus good for my brain. Running is often the only me time I get to have in a given day, and therefore I use that time to catch up with myself, think about what I've got lined up for the day or what I might want to say in my next TikTok video. Finally, I can't really talk about the benefits of running without mentioning the broader running community. Runners are among the most non-toxic, supportive, and friendly groups of people in the entire world. We are taught to see each other as peers before rivals, and therefore egos tend to fall by the wayside. You will find runners of all levels at any race, and therefore you'll fit right in no matter what. Now, is running for you? Maybe. You have to be the judge of that. But I think running can have tremendous impact on a person suffering from disordered eating, BDD, anxiety, and depression. For me, running has turned into something that has very little to do with my weight or my appearance. If you look at my running photos, and I'll include links to those in the show notes below, my thighs and stomach, they're always jiggling. My cellulite, it's so visible. They are not the kind of flattering photos that you want floating around on the internet, but guess what? I am still proud of every single one of them. Isn't that amazing? Now, perhaps that seems normal for folks who don't have 10,000 selfies on their phone, but for people like me and maybe you, it is truly extraordinary to be proud of photos where my stomach is hanging out. That's what running has done for me. It has taught me to appreciate my body, not for what it looks like, but for what it can do. My hope for you, Callie, is that running might also be a reminder of that to you. Your body is worth so much more than the number on the scale, the reflection in the mirror, the size of your genes. Your body is powerful, resilient, and tenacious. Your body is able to endure much more than you can even imagine, and proving that to yourself 
might be the single greatest gift you could possibly receive for your golden birthday. Now it will take courage, it will take sacrifice, and it may even take some pain. But here's the thing, Callie. Don't you think you're worth it? Wishing you all the very best. Thanks very much, Callie, for submitting your question. If you have a question on which you're seeking advice, make sure to hit the link below and ask Joanne. Updates and random things. What I'm watching. So after watching every available episode of The Vow, which I talked about last week, definitely check that documentary series out on HBO Max. It is absolutely breathtakingly riveting. I finally started another Korean drama at the recommendation of a friend, a journalist who writes about K-pop and therefore knows a thing or two about good K-dramas. It's called Under the Queen's Umbrella. This is a period piece set in the Joseon Dynasty, and it is magnificent to behold. The costumes, the cinematography, simply beautiful. The story is pretty typical, political upheaval in the royal palace, but there are some pretty powerful storylines that continue to challenge pretty directly the cultural norms and prejudice vis-a-vis women and the queer community. I'm super proud of the kinds of stories that are coming out of Korea these days, particularly now that these Korean dramas have kind of been wrested out of the control of the chebos or the very wealthy Korean families that own some of the networks that used to air these Korean dramas. And so now writers and producers are able to challenge watchers with these newer ideas about what it means to be inclusive, compassionate, and and full of justice. What I'm listening to, in case you missed it, I had a really fun chat with Quinn Emmett on the Important Not Important podcast. I'll include a link to that conversation in the show notes below. What I'm cooking. So jjigae season is in full swing. So jjigae, for those of you who don't know, is the Korean word for stew. And in the past week, I've made kimchi jjigae with beans, as you probably already know, sundubu jjigae, which I mentioned earlier, and white bean tinjang stew, which is basically a jjigae to me. You can find the recipe for my kimchi jjigae and sundubu jjigae on my blog and the Korean Vegan Cookbook, and I'll be adding the white bean tinjang stew to the Korean Vegan Meal Planner. Next up, though, my kimchi jjigae chili, which I That is something I developed a couple years ago, and oh my gosh, it is the best chili in the whole world. I mean, kimchi makes everything taste better, but I was pretty blown away by how good my kimchi jjigae chili turned out, so I'll be adding that as well to the Korean Vegan Meal Planner sometime later next week. And with that, we are now at Parting Thoughts. When I went for my first run in 2013, I'm not going to lie, I was so intimidated. Not only was my body railing against the activation of muscles long dormant, I was keenly anxious over how I'd be perceived by those who were fitter and thus, quote, better in my mind than I was. 
I lived in the city right along Lake Michigan, and therefore the lakefront path was crowded with cyclists and runners who'd likely traversed that warm pavement thousands of times. Who was I to pretend I could be one of them? I was, according to my physician, significantly overweight, and considering how difficult it was for me to run less than half a mile before stopping to rest, I was obviously out of shape. As I sat down and rested beneath a cluster of tall trees at the turnaround point of my 0.75-mile run, I wondered whether maybe running isn't for me. The thing is, even if that were the case, I had to get back home. I couldn't just magically think my way off the comfortable nook beneath the trees all the way back to my apartment. So I got back up, positioned my arms above my waist, and put one step in front of the other. Technically, my run ended about 0.37 miles later as I panted through the front door of my building and waved a sweaty hello to my doorman. But in some ways, I never really stopped running, even after I got into the shower, hopped out, changed into my favorite sweatpants, and grabbed a bite to eat, because I was proud of myself. Not in spite of feeling so out of place, but because I felt so out of place. It would have been so much easier for me to run that three-fourths mile if I were lean, long-legged, and blessed with Kipchoge-esque cardiovascular equipment. But doing hard things proves that we are capable of more. Even the fastest man on earth doesn't take only two hours and one minute and 39 seconds to run 26.2 miles. It takes years and years thousands upon thousands of miles on your feet, including hundreds of bad runs to cross the finish line of the world's fastest marathon. Endurance isn't just for the road, though. However much we may be tempted to castigate ourselves for sticking around too long, for investing too much, or for not having the sense to cut our losses and walk away earlier, metal can only be developed over time. Looking back, it's tempting to say, I should have left my legal practice earlier, or I shouldn't have given so much to my first marriage, but the truth is, I wouldn't be who I am today without those chapters in my life. There's a part of me that's proud of my capacity to endure for as long as I did, and I know there's a great deal I learned from every step I continued to take. So, however long the path ahead may look from wherever you are sitting today, Remember this, you'll never know what lies beyond the bend if you don't continue to step forward. Thanks everyone for joining me for another episode of the Korean Vegan Podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, do me a favor and hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Leave a comment and a rating below. I read every single one of them and I can't even tell you how much they mean to me. If there was something particularly inspiring about this episode, maybe you're a newbie runner or thinking about running or you have a friend who's thinking about running go ahead and share this episode with them, your family, your colleagues, or anyone else you think might be equally inspired by today's episode. In the meantime, until next week, I wish you the very best, most beautiful, wonderful, magical day. Mm -hmm.